Kids. Kids, everybody look up here. There we go. All right. Um, you know what pride is? Ever heard the word pride? Some of you know what pride is. Some of you don't. I'm going to try to describe it to you. Pride is when you think or speak or act like you are better than other people around you. When you speak, think, or act like you're better than other people around you, or think, speak, or act like you're better than you actually are. That's pride. For example, if you say to one of your friends when you're playing with them because you figured out Rubik's Cube or something quicker than your friend did, I'm smarter than you. That's pride speaking. Or if you think to yourself, don't say it, but you think to yourself, too bad he or she can't be as good as I am at such and such. That's pride. Children, do you think God likes pride? Do you think God likes pride, kids? Shake your head, yes or no? No, he doesn't like pride at all. Pride is an evil thing, and yet it's something that all of us in this room are guilty of, and we're guilty of this week. I can pretty much guarantee that. We have all exhibited pride at some point in this week, and if not this week, certainly the week before. And if you didn't struggle with pride this week, you struggled with something else. But most all of us, I would say probably just about every day, fall into pride. And it is a sin. And this text, among other things, speaks to our tendency to be prideful and says, don't. Don't. And we need God's help to not be prideful. But this text addresses these issues. Through the reign and the example of a man who lived in ancient Israel, ancient Judah actually, the kingdom of Judah was in the south, the kingdom of Israel was in the north, this is Judah. And the king, whose life we're going to look at today, and this issue in his life, is King Uzziah, kids. King Uzziah. King Uzziah is referred to in this text as Uzziah, but he also had another name that is used in the kings. Remember, the kings was written before the chronicles, and the chronicler had the kings with him, in front of him. Uh, It's really clear in many places that he was actually copying uh, or lifting almost verbatim out of kings. But he adds a whole lot to what the kings, the writer of kings did, and he also subtracts some things too, a bunch of stuff as well. But um, anyway, the king's writer doesn't refer to him as Isaiah. The king's writer refers to him as Azariah. Oftentimes, people in the Old Testament had more than one name. Remember Gideon was Jerubal and so on and so forth. Well, Uzziah was Azariah, but the reason the chronicler probably doesn't use Azariah as his name, but Uzziah is because there's another Azariah in this passage who was the chief priest of the day. And so he brings his name up and so he doesn't want us to confuse Azariah, so he uses Uzziah. I'm going to use Uzziah uh, from here on out to talk about him, uh, even though he has that second name mentioned in the other, the other history. Uzziah was the son, as we read in this text, of King Amaziah. He was the grandson of King Joash. He was the great-grandson of King Ahaziah. And he was the, we need eight greats, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of King David. He was one of the Davidic kings. Uzziah reigned in Judah for 52 years. 
His was the longest reign of any of David's descendants who sat on the throne. Uzziah shared his throne. We know this when we compare accounts. He shared his throne with his father, Amaziah, uh, for about 25 years. It's called a co-regency. And they both reigned together from 792 B.C. to 767 B.C. Then, after Amaziah died, Uzziah reigned by himself, all by himself as king, for about 17 years until 750 B.C. last 10 years he was alive, from 750 to 740 B.C., he again shared the throne, this time with his son Jothan, but really Jothan was doing most of the work, and we'll see why here. You might recall from my reading of the text why. Ten years, Uzziah was out of action, shall we say. So that's just the, that's the history, brief history of them. Let's look at the points that we're going to deal with from this text. Two, first, King Uzziah's time of fidelity to Yahweh and his covenant is addressed in this text. And then secondly, Uzziah's act of infidelity to Yahweh and his covenant we're going to address in this text. The first 15 verses deals with Uzziah's time of fidelity and verses 16 through 23 deal with Uzziah's act of infidelity to the Lord. So first, Uzziah's time of fidelity or faithfulness to the Lord and his covenant. It is described in verse 4 for us, as we often get, uh, almost always get descriptions of the kings, some summation of how they reigned and what, the way they lived. And we read there in verse 4, the first part of it, and he did right in the sight of the Lord. He did right in the sight of the Lord. What does this mean? It means, whenever it says that, that at least outwardly, and often for some of the kings that are described this way inwardly as well, that they trusted in the Lord, and they obeyed the Lord. Now, we all know that they didn't do any of that ever perfectly, because of what the rest of the scripture teaches, but they did do it when it describes them this way, the kings this way, they did trust and obey the Lord, characteristically, shall we say. It was their general modus operandi. They generally trusted the Lord, they generally obeyed the Lord. And this is what Uzziah did for a good share, 42 years actually, of his reign. He was uh, a faithful king of Israel. The text tells us in verse 5 that he exhibited this fidelity, this covenant faithfulness to the Lord, as long as a certain individual named Zechariah was alive. Verse 5 tells, mentions this guy. We know very little about Zechariah other than the fact that he was one who had visions given to him by God, which is to say he was a seer. He saw things. Seer was another word for a prophet. He was a prophet of sorts. Um, this Zechariah fellow was. And, and this is probably not to be confused with the Zechariah that his grandfather had interaction with who was the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who was put to death. It, some people, some commentators try to make those two guys the same guy. It, it almost can't be done, at least, and, and be uh, faithful to the scriptures. So I think it's a separate guy, se- separate Zechariah. 
At any rate, we don't know much about him other than he was a prophet, but he evidently played a role in Uzziah's life similar to the role that Jehoiada, that I mentioned a moment ago, the priest, or high priest, played in the role of Uzziah's grandfather, who was King Joash. And that role was that of a spiritual mentor. He, he guided him and helped him keep his eyes on the Lord. Be faithful, it appears, from what little we can glean from verse 5. As long as Zechariah was around, Uzziah was pretty faithful to the Lord. And the Lord blessed Uzziah, the king, and his country with a number of temporal blessings as a result of the covenant faithfulness that Uzziah and presumably much of the kingdom at least outwardly displayed. Remember, as my uh, Old Testament professor Mark Futado uh, used to say, and I've said this to you several times, as the king went, so went the people. The king was unfaithful, the nation was unfaithful, generally speaking. If the king was faithful, generally speaking, at least outwardly, the, the nation was faithful, more or less, to the covenant, to the Lord. And this was a time of faithfulness by the king and presumably by uh, a good share of the population as well. And the Lord blessed, particularly because the king was faithful. In a number of ways, the text indicates. The Old Testament in general and the Chronicles in particular regularly represent a king's defeat of his enemies as evidence of God's covenant favor toward him and his nation. That was the case for Uzziah. He had victories. Uzziah vanquished numerous enemy nations during his early years of faithfulness. We read of those in verses 6 through 8. The Philistines, the, um, where are we here? The Philistines, the, no, it's not verse 8. Anyway, it's in there. Um, he vanquished a bunch of enemies. The Munites, I remember the Munites and the Arabians. There we go. And notice, I said uh, verse 6. I was looking at verse 8. That was the problem. Verse 6, I'll read it. Now he went out and warred against the Philistines, this is Uzziah, and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the area of Ashdod and among the Philistines. And notice, and God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and the Munites. God did this, you see. Defeating the enemies was God working through means, swords and shields and such. But God was blessing, and intentionally so, a covenantally covenantally faithful king, Uzziah. And the Lord did this. The Old Testament in general, and the chronicler in particular, regularly also represented king's building projects and his nation's economic growth as evidence of God's uh, favor toward him and toward the nation. Again, this was the case for Uzziah. We are told in verse uh, uh, verse 2 that Uzziah rebuilt the port city of Elot, which was on uh, a branch of the uh, of the Red Sea that went up to, it's the Gulf of Aqaba actually, that went up to uh, Edom. And it was an Edomite port originally. And you recall from our last time together that uh, uh, Uzziah's father, Amaziah, captured Edom. Um, the Lord blessed him, and he captured Edom, which included the city of Elot. And that may have been, by the way, when there was that co-regency with Uzziah also uh, sharing power with his dad. And so, but then... Later on, uh, we're reading here, Uzziah uh, is responsible for rebuilding a lot. 
presumably it had been somewhat uh, destroyed by, uh, by the warfare that had taken place after they captured it. Anyway, the Lord uh, blesses him in this way. Uh, he also, uh, Uzziah, fortified the capital city of Jerusalem with defensive towers at key places in the city wall to help protect himself and his, uh, his capital. Uh, the Lord allowed Uzziah to build a number of tower outposts, we're going to call them, in the desert or in the wilderness of Judah, which provided protection and also uh, storage capacity for those who were herding the great flocks of livestock that uh, Uzziah owned and that he hired these men to, uh, to take care of. But that was out in the wilderness, and they needed a place for food for the for the shepherds and uh, and uh, so on and so forth, and also protection from the weather and enemies and so on. Uzziah also hewed out. We are told in verse ten uh, numerous cisterns in the desert areas. Uh, this was to provide uh, a source of water for those livestock and uh, and the shepherd or the herders who were in charge of them that he hired. And we also are told in verse 10 that he undertook, the king did, a number of significant agricultural pro, uh, projects. He was a busy king. A lot was going on under his reign as he was faithful to the Lord. And the Lord also blessed Uzziah by enabling him to greatly strengthen uh, his military, the, uh, the kingdom's military. In verses 11 through 15, we are told that he reorganized Judah's army and he enlarged the army uh, until it consisted of over 300,000 well-trained men. And he also made sure that these soldiers that were in his army were well-equipped with weapons of war. And we read about that in verses 14 and 15. And the consequences of God's blessing of Uzziah in all these various ways are neatly summarized in the end of both verse 8 and verse, and verse 15. Verse 8, we read it toward the end, um, and his fame, Uzziah's fame, extended to the border of Egypt, for he became strong. And then down in verse 15, the last sentence, Hence his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped, i.e. by the Lord, until he was strong. This summarizes what God, the blessings that God gave him, the reward, if you will, for, for his faithfulness as a king. This is a familiar principle taught to us in Scripture, and particularly in Chronicles. The Lord blesses us when we trust and obey him. He does. Now, he doesn't always do that in a manner or at the time when we ourselves might choose. But he will do it in his time, and he will really do it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I'm not trying to get you to change your answer, but (laughs) I want you to think about it. It's true. It's a biblical principle that God blesses fidelity to him and his covenant, which is another way of saying just to him. Think of the way that he responded to Abraham's willingness to offer up Isaac in obedience to God's command that he do so. Just quickly, Genesis 22, verse 15. Don't turn there, just listen. 
verses 15 through 18. This is after the angel inter- intervened. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, Notice the angel of the Lord is the Lord. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, and here it is, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And lest you think that that's only for the patriarchs, um, think of the way that God responded to Joshua and Caleb, to their confidence and expression of that confidence that the Lord would give Israel to uh, uh, give Israel the land of Canaan's, in spite of the fact that it was populated by giants who looked fearsome. Numbers. 14, verses 26, again, listen, records this. We read in verse 26 through 30. And Moses arose... Let's see, do I have the right one here? No, it's the wrong chapter. Um, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? This is after they grumbled. Um, I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses shall fall in the wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number of 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. But then listen, surely you shall not come into the land which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, who believed the Lord. And the Lord blessed them by letting them go into the land of promise that pointed to heaven and let them participate in that glorious experience of Israel inheriting their inheritance the earthly one. You see, the Lord does bless fidelity. The Lord will bless you, will reward, and that word is not inappropriate. Rewards are only given graciously because we don't don't deserve them because our obedience and our trust is never perfect. But it is, if it's genuine, the Lord graciously rewards such fidelity. When you choose to trust and obey him. And he especially does that when it's difficult to do so. Sometimes it is, right? Do you have any circumstances in your life that God wants you to trust him with where you're not currently doing so? How about Areas where he wants you to obey, or maybe you're not being quite so obedient right at the present time. He will bless you if you do that. Well, he blessed Uzziah. So we've looked at King Uzziah's time of fidelity. 
to the Lord and his covenant. But things take a turn for the worse. And that's the second point, King Uzziah's act of infidelity to the Lord and his covenant. It's alluded to in verse 4 where that summary description is given of him. We read again, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Ah, but there's a caveat. According to all that his father Amaziah had done. In other words, only to the degree that his father Amaziah was did right in the sight of the Lord did he do right in the sight of the Lord. What happened to Amaziah? Well, Amaziah did not obey the Lord, we are told in chapter 25, verse 22, or 2 rather. He did not obey, Amaziah didn't, with all of his heart. And that was evidenced by the fact that he, Amaziah, like his father, Joash, spiritually strayed from the Lord in the latter portion of his reign. Both of those, both Uzziah's father and grandfather, strayed uh, from the Lord in the latter portions of their reign. And Uzziah does so as well. On this, on one occasion in particular. The one that's recorded in verses 16 and following, where Uzziah entered the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense, which was inside the temple as opposed to the altar of burnt offering, which was outside the temple. God had made it clear, very clear, in Exodus 30, verses 1 through 10, uh, and Numbers uh, 18, 1 through 7, and then Numbers 16, which I'm going to read here in a second, verses 36 to 40. The Lord had made it clear in the law of Moses that the Aaronic priests, the descendants of Aaron alone, were allowed to enter the temple, let alone burn incense at the altar of incense. Only the Aaronic priests were allowed to do that. The descendants of Aaron. In verse 16 of Numbers, we read this. And the Lord said to Moses, saying, Say to Eliezer, the son of Aaron, notice the priest, that he shall take up the... This is, by the way, right after the sons of Korah did their thing. And they were told uh, by Moses to take their uh, uh, fire pans and bring 250 fire pans before the Lord. Okay, with incense in them. Okay, and uh, it says then. So this is after that. Uh, say to Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he shall take up the incense, uh, the censers, out of the midst of the blaze. The Lord had just smote all those people that rebelled against uh, Moses, his servant, uh, Korah, and the sons of Dathan and of Abiram, and uh, he he just consumed them by fire. And he says to Aaron. I'll get it out here. Uh, he shall take up the, uh, Eliezer, he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they, the censers, are holy. And he says, and you shall scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets of plating of the altar, since they did not present them before the Lord, and they, the, the, the incense, the censers are holy, and they shall be a sign to the sons of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which the men who were burned had offered, and they hammered them out as a plating for the altar, as a reminder to the sons of Israel that no layman, no layman, 
who is not of the descendants of Aaron, should come near to burn incense before the Lord, and that he might not become like Korah and his company, just as the Lord had spoken to him through Moses. The Lord had made it perfectly clear. Nobody does this but priests. Descended from Aaron, not just Levites, but priests from Aaron. Yet in spite of this clear prohibition that Uzziah certainly knew about, he would have known about it through Zechariah if nowhere else, Uzziah decides to burn incense within the temple in open defiance of God's expressed command. This previously faithful king pulled this stunt. Why? Why does he brazenly defy the expressed will and command of God regarding this? We read in verse 16 why. And when he became strong, his heart was so proud, presumably because he, because he came strong. God, God's blessing was used as a reason to be prideful by him. When he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. This was the very sin, pride was the very sin that prompted his father Amaziah to foolishly pick a fight with the northern king, the king of the nation of the kingdom of Israel, back in chapter 25, a war which Amaziah's forces were soundly defeated in, and Amaziah himself was humiliatingly captured by the king of Israel. Pride brought that about, his pride, Amaziah's. And Uzziah's pride, his son's pride, made him think that because he was the king, that he had the right to do whatever he darn well pleased. Including the right to ignore God's explicit instructions regarding who was and who was not permitted to burn incense within the temple. And he wanted to do that, so he did that. You ever pulled a stunt like that? Maybe not exactly like that, but you know what I mean. I have. I bet you have too, if you're old enough. Anyway, this flouting of the divine will, this was in-your-face defiance of the king of all kings, God. And the thing that caused the human king to believe that he was exempt from obeying God was hubris. His idolatrous love of himself. Pride is often, if not always, and I dare say it's always, but it is very often, if not always, the cause of your and my decisions to defy God's will when we do it. It's love of self. Inordinate love of self. The belief that we know what is best or that we are entitled to do whatever we want. You've all been there, I'm pretty sure.
Yahweh is commanding you and me through this text to put whatever remains of your inordinate love of yourself to death. And you can't do it, by the way, by yourself. You need him to do it, but you need to ask him to do it. God, humble me where I need humbling. We all need humbling. Well, the priest's response to Uzziah's presence in the temple was to collectively rush in and confront him about his sin and then soundly rebuke him for his defiance of God's command. I won't read it, but it's verses 17 and 18. And then Uzziah's response to their rebuke, their righteous rebuke of him, was fury. He says in verse 19, or we read in verse 19 rather, And Uzziah, with the censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. How dare you speak to the king that way? How dare you tell me what to do? Well, God had absolutely no intention of letting Uzziah's monstrously presumptuous act of rebellion the temple, inside the temple, or God, God's throne room. He had no intention of letting Uzziah's uh, sin go unanswered. So we read in the latter part of verse fifteen or 19, after he got enraged at God's representatives, the priests telling him to get out of there. And while he was enraged with the priests, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Now, the Lord could have struck him dead right then and there. He could have spontaneously combusted like the sons of Korah. And he deserved that, Uzziah did. But the Lord mercifully, and I do mean that, smote him with leprosy instead. You say, how is that merciful? It's merciful because of what he deserved. He deserved what Korah, the sons of Korah and Dathan and uh, Abiram got. That's what he deserved. And he let him live for ten more years. Yes, with leprosy, but he was alive. He didn't get what he deserved on that occasion. And he had 10 years of privacy to reflect on his sin and to seek God's pardon. We don't know for sure, but I suspect because of the very last verse that talks about him being buried with his fathers rather than like either his grandfather or great-grandfather, not with his fathers, the other kings, which was a divine punishment um, that probably expressed that he ultimately proved to not be a believer. This guy is buried with his fathers. And I can't prove this, but I suspect this was just one really, really bad lapse of judgment, one great sin that probably was repented of by Uzziah as he sat alone in his chambers. God was merciful to him. God is merciful often to us when we rebel against him. 
praise God for it. Well, how do the priests respond when they see leprosy breaking out all over the king? They whisk him out of the temple post-haste. And they do so not only because Uzziah was in a place that was off-limits to him as a non-priest, but he was now ceremonially unclean. I won't read the text, but there are a couple of texts that make the point. Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, and Numbers 5, verses 1 through 3. And, 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 and by the way, Uzziah wants to get out of there. Did you notice that? In verse, uh, in verse 20, um, and they said, and they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out. I bet. He hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. The Lord had smitten him, and he knew it. And he was scared, rightly so. Something worse might befall him. And there was a long-lasting consequence to the king's evil decision to defy God on this occasion. Verse 21 speaks of it, and King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, which happened to be ten more years. And he lived in a separate house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. He was cut off from going to the temple because he was unclean. And his son had to take over for and assume most of the royal duties that he previously had um, attended to himself. Again, because of this huge sin that probably a believer committed. Think about that. A believer, almost certainly, well, quite likely a believer committed. The Lord is a kind and a patient and a loving father to those of us who are his covenant children. But he is not a father who will sit idly by if we choose to blatantly rebel against him to our own detriment. He will not idly sit by. He will discipline his wayward children. The writer of the Hebrews speaks eloquently on this matter. We're going to read it briefly. He says in verse chapter 12, verses 1 and following, actually I'll, I'll pick up in verse 4. This is right after he talks about let us lay aside every sin, every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. But then he he rebukes his uh, his uh, audience that he's writing to, the writer of Hebrews, and he says in verse 4, For consider him who has entered such hostility by sinners against himself, Jesus, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart, because they were in danger of that. They were already exhibiting signs of that. And then he says... Uh, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation, which was addressed to you as sons from Proverbs. And here he quotes it, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. End quote. And then the writer of the Hebrews goes on, for it's discipline, for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then 
you were illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather, or much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, the earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. That we may share his holiness. Share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Of course it's not. But sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, by that discipline, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Notice, he disciplines his wayward children because he loves them. But wisdom dictates, wisdom does, and love does too, but wisdom in particular dictates that you and I avoid behavior that might invite such fatherly discipline. Right? Isn't that the wise thing to do? Not provoke the Lord to fatherly displeasure? He loves you, and so he's not going to let you pull that stunt without without some reaction that's unpleasant, more than likely, from him. But again, if you happen to be, right now, I don't know, if you happen to be on the receiving end of God's discipline at this present moment, or at any time in your future, know that you are being disciplined because you are loved by God. Deeply loved by God. And God doesn't want you to think that your sinful choices are no big deal. They are. Because if left unchecked, sin will destroy you, body and soul. Even if you don't see it, or I don't see it, at the moment when that little shiny object of sin is dangled before us, looks so tempting like the fruit in the garden. God loves you too much to let you, let it, that is sin, have its way with you. Perhaps you are one who has foolishly wandered off the path of faithfulness. Perhaps nobody else knows about it but you. Take heed. Flee from your self-love. Flee from your prideful indulgence of sin. And flee into the waiting arms of the Father who is happy to forgive you if you will actually repent. Perhaps you've never known Jesus savingly. Perhaps you've just gone to church all your life and just gone through the motions and fooled your other people, maybe even fooled yourself. But you know deep down inside you really don't know Jesus savingly. There's mercy for you too. There's love from God for you too if you will turn and flee to Jesus by faith as your only hope of being forgiven.
Because that's the only way you'll be forgiven. He has to take hell for you so that you won't go there. Flee to him if this describes you. Well, in conclusion, God calls you and me to a life of growing humility and self-denial. Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. You've got to choose to do it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Which may not be until the day uh, when Jesus returns. It may come before then. I don't know. But he commands us to humble ourselves. And we are to do this in grateful imitation of him who loved us, who loved you and me enough to live, suffer, and die so that we wouldn't have to. Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus. You need to have it in yourselves, Paul says, and the Spirit says through him. Which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, he emptied himself, referring to his self-giving of his life on the cross. And being, and, and then repeating myself, or continuing on, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. The God of glory, the Lord of glory, humbled himself. And we want to love ourselves and think highly of ourselves. Sinners as opposed to the holy God of the universe who humbled himself in the second person of the Godhead. It's shameful. And yet, we do it regularly. If left to our own devices, ask the Lord. Help me, Lord. Find the pride, Lord, and please root it out of me further. He will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are God and